What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going pretty well. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of adjustment periods over the last week to this new uh, virtual reality we live in, but I'm getting a little more comfortable seeing you on a computer screen versus in the Adam Klaus studio. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see you ever again until this is over. I mean, are you just going to be a hole in guy? See, that's one of my worries with, um, people learning how to do everything virtually is that once this is all over, no one's going to want to do anything in person. See, I think it's the opposite. I think people are going to be so desperate for contact, actual human contact, uh, that it will be the exact inverse of what you stated. I hope you're right. What time is it in the room that you're in right now? It looks like it's about midnight. It's dark as hell. Uh, it's 5.05 p.m. <laughs> on the year of our Lord, 2020, March 25th. You're just not a natural daylight guy anymore? Not a natural daylight guy. Um, the curtain in here is drawn. I have a single lamp projecting light from my right, and that's, that's all you're getting. I, I don't think that the coronavirus has yet figured out how to penetrate both air and glass. So I think you could probably get a and curtain. So I think you could probably get away with uh, curtain open, but that's just my two cents. I don't like a lot of light, Adam. I, I need a little bit, but I don't need a lot. It's just, it's just not necessary. You're not a vitamin. What's that vitamin? Uh, vitamin D. Vitamin D. You're not a vitamin D guy. Well, I am when I'm when I'm dri- when I'm drinking. I'm a big vitamin D guy, as you know. I didn't know that um, alcohol consumed and sunlight preferred were uh, correlating factors. Well, it's the it's what I use with the with the alcohol. Oh, Yours. orange juice. Right. I got you. Um, we we got to keep this yeah. banter going just because the actual Atlanta sports talk is very limited. It's very minimum. Last week, we were at least blessed with the NFL really picking its shit up and, and giving us a lot to talk about. This week, the only thing we really have to talk about is the Todd Gurley signing because that happened after we uh, recorded last week, so we weren't able to have any thoughts on that. So I assume that would take up a good chunk of the show, and then after that, I don't know. I think we'll just let the chips fall where they may. Well, I'll start with the breaking news. Um other big Atlanta sports news. Uh, the other day I was scrolling through my phone because uh, I think our internet went down and we're in a quarantine situation, so there's nothing else to do. So I just start scrolling through old pictures, tickets, things like that. And I came across my Atlanta Legends ticket. Uh, I, I believe it was, I mean, it was March of 2019. And I was like, damn, you know, how many people would be at Atlanta Legends game right now if, like, that was the only sport in town and there wasn't a massive uh, public health crisis going on? Or if the AAF had finished even one season. Right, right. And I feel like I may have lost a couple bets with the XFL because I was convinced that they were going to finish uh, their first season. But I think it's a little unfair the way the XFL went out. Like, I don't think – I'm pretty sure that financially they would have finished this season – and according to their Twitter, they're still planning on coming back for next year. So 
Um, I don't think that's a lost bet. What's your thoughts on that? I would agree with that. I think, you know, these are unseen, unforeseen circumstances. And, you know, the bet clearly was not made with acts of, uh, you know, considering acts of God because we never thought there would be one. So it should be considered. Yeah, I think I think any gentleman that took that bet with me would gladly, um, you know, just call that one a draw. Yeah, for sure. The... I suppose let's just jump into it, Adam. Okay. Into this Todd Gurley stuff. So Todd Gurley gets signed by the Falcons after being released uh, from the Rams. I think it was only a day or two after he got released from the Rams. And it's a one-year, $5 million deal. And a lot of people are really excited about this, and I don't I don't blame them considering the, the pedigree of Todd Gurley. Obviously, we know about his incredible run at Georgia where he was one of the best running backs in the country and that game certainly translated to the NFL uh, with the exception of really the last year and some change it was you know starting in that 2018-2019 season uh, in the playoffs Gurley was was definitely banged up he hasn't been himself since I think the NFC championship game against the Saints when they they upset them and he was definitely on a pitch count last year for sure and only had 223 carries, 857 rushing yards. Um, you know, if you compare that with Devontae Freeman, you know, Devontae had even more limited action than than Gurley, and Devontae had 184 carries for 656 yards. So that doesn't look – I mean, that looks like, you know, a lot. You know, it's, it's a little over 200 yards in terms of the differentiation of, of their rushing output, but Gurley also had, you know, 40 more carries. So – and they both averaged under four yards per carry. Gurley three point eight yards, and Freeman three point six yards. So it's one of those things where it's like, also considering Gurley's extensive injury history, and you know he's he's got arthritis in his knee. It's one of those things where I'm trying to temper my expectations. But the good news about this is that it's it, even if it doesn't work, it's one year for five million dollars, and you're getting. And if Todd Gurley can bounce back, he's only twenty five years old. You know, this could be an absolutely lethal signing by the Falcons. Yeah, it's um, it's like the Falcons hired Alex Anthopoulos to help them out with this offseason, and it's just a classic Anthopoulos deal. The one-year veteran. I mean, yeah, 25 years old, though. Like not, I mean, he's technically a veteran, but come on, this guy's got superstar potential, and if he can get over his knee in injuries, um, apparently our offensive line is better than the Rams' offensive line, believe it or not. I know that. It's hard to believe. Yeah, that's shocking to many people around here. Um, but, yeah, it's a classic, just huge upside, not a lot of downside move. And, um, you know, you and I have squawked a lot about, oh, we can go into the season with Edo Smith as our lead back, and we got Allison for the red zone. But at the end of the day, you want to – No, we've been Brian Hill guys. Yeah, Bri- we've been Brian that's Hill true, guys. Brian Hill. But at the end of the day, you want to work her workhorse and none of those guys are workhorses so well they also haven't had the chance right i mean i think he'll certainly can be that but the good news is is that this is so cheap it's not multi-year that it's okay to take a fire like that i think especially if there are some doubts about the you know the ability for those guys to hold up or or carry a a backfield which they never had to do before at the end of the day i feel like a lot of people myself included are going to feel better about having todd Gurley back there um, in our backfield, we can still draft a running back this year if that's 
the route you want to go, but we don't have to lean on a rookie. Um, and from Todd Gurley's perspective, I mean, he's playing with a much better quarterback now. There's better weapons on the outside, better offensive line, allegedly. So maybe those holes are going to open up again. And him in his prime, all he needed was a small hole, and he can make big, big gashes. So it's definitely intriguing. My initial reaction was excitement. Uh, I understand arthritis in your knee doesn't sound like a good thing. I don't have too much insight on his health issues, but um, definitely worth taking the flyer. Pretty excited about how active the Falcons have been this offseason. Yeah, it's also, and I, I think the comparisons to Steven Jackson are a little ridiculous considering that when we got Steven Jackson, he was 30, which is end of the line for running back. You know, Gurley's only 25. So I don't, I don't think those comparisons are, are, are apt. And one of the also one of the great things about Gurley that even though it was a down year behind a shitty offensive line, he still had 12 rushing touchdowns and 14 touchdowns overall. So it's not like, you know, he is a really he's really great at getting you the first down. He's really great in the red zone. And we haven't had, you know, a beast in the red zone for a long time or someone that can get you those short yard situations. I mean, you think about over the years, how many games we've lost based on, you know, we couldn't convert fourth and one fourth and inches. Um, you know, you're hoping that Gurley can still bring that effort at a minimum of being able to get a lot of first downs and a lot of touchdowns and, and, you know, in short yardage situations. And at the, also at the end of the day, it's a good uh, financial decision because there's a lot of Georgia Bulldogs out there, Graham, that have been wanting Todd Gurley instead of Vic Beasley for the last five years. So, now you finally get your wish. It is pretty ironic that as Vic comes out, Gurley comes in, um, two first-round picks who their teams kind of were done with at this point in time. But hopefully it'll be a turnaround for one of those guys and hoping that's the guy on our team now. Right. And I think one of the things that's interesting about Gurley and Freeman is it seems like, based off the stats alone, Gurley is a much better rushing back in terms of just the ability to score touchdowns at a minimum than Freeman, whereas Freeman was a better uh, better receiver out of the backfield than Gurley. Freeman had uh, 59 receptions, 410 receiving yards, and 5.9 yards per target, whereas Todd Gurley had 31 receptions on 49 targets for only 207 yards and 4.2 yards per target. So it wasn't like, you know, Gurley was – and, and part of that could be that Gurley was not utilized correctly with that offense, and offense certainly struggled a lot last year as the Rams were, were pretty mediocre, um, unless they were playing a really shitty defense like Tampa Bay. But I, I, it's one of those things where I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, even if Gurley still isn't a great receiving back next year, I'm willing to sacrifice that over, you know, I'd rather have him struggle there than not be able to score in the in the red zone and pick up you know, first downs when we absolutely need it. You know, I think that's a that's a fair sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, how many fourth and ones over the last five years are we unable to convert or pull some bullshit screen play that just gets sniffed out? And so just have a classic running back that can run it up the gut. A lot of potential there. The question is, is Dirk Cutter going to know what to do with him? That is the question, and you know he's never been great with with having a good run pass balance 
his teams, including all his stints with the Falcons, we you know we've definitely leaned more towards passing a hell of a lot more than running. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, I think if you've watched this team at all with Dirk Cutter as as the offensive coordinator, you would agree with that. So I think that's that's a fair question, and you also have to wonder how the you know the maturity and depth of the offensive line, if you know, especially guys like McGarry and, and Lindstrom can really make that progression. That's also a question, right? Is, is can the offensive line be a lot better this year in terms of being able to be more efficient running the football? Because we know last year we were like the 30th worst rushing offense in the league or something like that. So we, we were terrible. So even though you might be upgrading at running back and you might be, you know, and hopefully you're having offensive line make progression, it also does come down to, you're exactly right, will Dirk Cutter be able to get his shit together? His track record doesn't really indicate that he will. But you have to think that the balance will be a little better this coming year, if not a lot, just just with the fact that you're getting a guy like Gurley who can give you the – and, you know, it also comes back to well, maybe Cutter didn't feel like he had the personnel to really run the football, particularly at, at the running back position with Freeman. So it's just a lot of variables. We don't know how, how Gurley will fit in, how Cutter can adapt, et cetera. Plus, I mean, neither of the rookies were really healthy the entire season, so – if we can get 15, 16 games out of those guys, it's a completely different offensive line than the patchwork job we had to put together last year. Um, so, True. as always, health is going to play a huge factor. Um, one thing I can't get over, Graham, three months ago, if I had told you on March 25th, 2020, our number one and starting topic and probably only topic of discussion was going to be the Falcons. Whoa, was sorry. Was gonna sneeze. I got coronavirus. Yeah, quarantine me now. Well, you already are, fortunately. Um, yeah, but it's crazy. It's the day before what was supposed to be the Braves opening day, Graham, and all we can do is talk about the Falcons signing a running back to one year deal. It's uh, very unexpected. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awful. We should be getting ready to get on a plane to go to Austin. <laughs> yeah. Bachelor party is supposed to be tomorrow. Yeah. One of our concerns was, oh, shit, the Braves' first game was the first night of your bachelor party. I don't know if we're going to be able to watch it or oh, not. Oh, God, just, just, that's just awful. That's just awful. We might not be able to see it. I mean, what will we be able to do with ourselves? Talk about two guys. That, <laughs> Talk about putting things into perspective. Yeah. I mean, that, that's another good thing that's going to come out of all this. It was like... I thought we liked sports a lot before. Oh, man. Once it's back, that's going to be unreal. Like, th- oh, yeah. Like, we, we always, like, we couldn't drag ourselves out of the house to go to a Hawks game or we went to one Falcons game when I got free tickets. And it's going to be a different world now. Atlanta United, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to get a bumper sticker. Oh, wow. That's a big, <laughs> that's a big investment for a guy like you. I know, man. It's crazy. Crazy. You don't spend money on anything. Uh, not unnecessary things like that. But, um, you know, it'll, it'll be great. I don't know when it's going to happen, Graham, but eventually sports will be back, and it's going to be glorious. What? Yes. Yes, it will be. Once- a couple, couple more notes on, uh, on Gurley before we move on into the abyss. Um, Gurley was ranked the 11th best passing running back in the league last year, which is – you know, certainly nice. And Devontae's always been a decent pass protector, but he ranked 15th, so you're getting an upgrade there. 
And then in terms of overall rushing advanced analytics, uh, Gurley, according to Pro Football Focus, had a 79.1 rating, which is which is eighth amongst eighth amongst eighth amongst running backs in the NFL. So even though he wasn't getting great yards, you know, per carry, you know, I think the the rushing touchdowns and the goal the goal line usage and the, the short short yardage efficiency was still pretty strong for him. Would you, uh, if Devontae continues to go unsigned, would you like to sign Devontae for a $600,000 contract to be a backup? No, I think we're fine now. Like, you, you've literally just traded one injury-riddled running back for another, one of which seems to be a lot better than, than, the, than the one we had previously, but there's no point in bringing back both of those guys. What if it's a, um, a league minimum contract? Don't care. I don't think Devontae will ever be an effective running back ever again. Whereas Todd Gurley's only had one real injury plague season at this point. And he's coming off a 12, you know, a 14 touchdown season. If you combine the receiving touchdowns and the, and the rushing touchdowns, whereas Devontae only had six. It, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in Devontae ever again for, for actually, you know, I'm, I'm just not. It is wild. There was on the wall. It is wild. There wasn't more of a market for Gurley though. Like you would think. I, I heard it was just us and the Dolphins willing to take just a one-year flyer on the guy. Um, I mean, it was just a couple years ago that he was the best, one of the best offensive players in the world, and uh, he was also the highest-paid running back, I believe. And they were coming up. I think the reason the Rams, one of the reasons the Rams got rid of him, was because he was due to make just an absurd amount of money this year. Um. And they didn't want to. They didn't want to do that. So you also have to consider that in terms of yes, the market wasn't there, and the Rams were willing to cut a guy who was once perceived to be one of the best running backs in football. So I mean, they have a much more, uh, you know, extensive history of, of understanding Todd Gurley's medical issues than than anyone else in the NFL because he's, he's been there. And if that scared away all these other people, and that's what his value was. Yeah, it does say a lot. But I also think that there's nothing wrong with taking a flyer on a guy who, who still might have the ability to be an absolute beast, who still had a pretty decent year when you look at the numbers and really crunch them. So, you know, maybe you could say, yeah, it, 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 this isn't a, a great move, but it's so low risk that who gives a shit? I, I appreciate you crunching those numbers for uh, not only our users, but myself as well, Graham. 14 touchdowns. That's nothing to sleep on. No. So twelve of those rushing too, which is which is great. I mean, we haven't had a guy like that since Michael Turner. Or well, that's not true. Devontae Devontae only had two double digit rushing touchdown seasons out of six. So I mean, red zone efficiency has always been an issue for the Falcons going back to the damn Mike Vick days. So and beyond. So it'd be really nice. I mean, we've had certainly had years where we've been more efficient in the in the red zone running the ball, but it's just like it seems like we always get you know, the, when the field shortens, it seems like the Falcons always find a way to screw themselves, particularly these last couple of years when we've been, you know, I, I, not a playoff team. So, I mean, this could be a really uh, a move that could be quite transformative if, if Gurley's on his shit. So, Graham, I got to ask, given all the moves we've made this offseason and we still haven't seen the draft, but I think we would be shocked if they don't go very heavy defense. Um but there's, there's a lot of positive momentum building for our Falcons right now. Not to mention there's an extra playoff spot up for grabs now. Um, 
Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, the CBA went into effect, the new CBA, which which get, which basically extends the NFL season one more game. So you have you have 17 games instead of 16, and now there's two extra playoff teams, one in each conference. So it's a seven-team per conference playoff field. So yeah, I mean the opportunity is 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 definitely more open now for the Falcons and for everyone. So, which is huge for us to have that extra wild card spot. I feel like now with, um, you know, the the Saints are bringing back Drew Brees. Uh, Tampa Bay just fi- signed some quarterback. Not really sure. Can't remember his name, um, but I've heard some stuff about him. He's supposed to be pretty yeah, decent. He's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, um, pretty old, but you know, I'm not too afraid of that guy. It's, it's not going to be a. It won't be a huge issue. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting NFC South. You got <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, God. Teddy Bridgewater, clearly yeah. the biggest signing um, in for quarterbacks in the NFC South. But it's a year that I'm, I'm glad that there's an extra wild card that we can hopefully uh, cling on to, because um, the division is going to be tough. Oh yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really brutal. I think. Uh, Falcons also made some other moves, Adam, over the weekend. Your boy, Bleedy Booty Ray Wilson, is back. Special teams cornerback guy. We need all the cornerbacks um, we can get. Yep, so he'll add some depth there. Uh, Laquan Treadwell from the Vikings, who we uh, <clears throat> has been pretty disappointing, but another first-round pick. He was drafted, I think, 24th overall when he came out. He's only in his mid-20s. Uh, hasn't really done much uh through four seasons he has only 65 catches for 701 yards and two touchdowns so for being a first round pick he's certainly been a disappointment but add some depth i don't love this move considering that you know we have russell gage who i thought did a nice job last year Uh, i don't think this was necessary but it's also like you know if you can find a way to tap into this guy's potential and we know that matt ryan can make you know certainly can help make receivers better than they are. Um, I don't hate that move, but and I, I, it's not for a lot of money. So he, he's going to be probably the third or fourth receiver. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in with the offense or if he can realize his potential. If he does, and you have Julio, Ridley, and this treble character, if he can, you know, yeah, it's, it's someone to figure out a way to, yeah, it's someone to replace Muhammad a little bit. I mean. Maybe Russell Gage steps into that role. Maybe not. But, I mean, I think they still kind of like Calvin in the slot some working across the middle. So, it's another flyer. That's fine. I I have been perplexed with all these offensive signings. We had the one big defensive signing so far in the the offseason. But maybe they're just loading up on offense and being like, hey, this is who we are. We're going to go back to our putting up 35 points a game ways. And uh, whatever we get from the defense, we get. So, I mean, it's... And I think, well, I think, too, that they're looking at the the defense big time in the draft, like you were saying. I mean, the other signing that we... uh, The other guy that we picked up is another offensive player, an offensive lineman, Justin McCray from the Browns, who only started four games last year uh, at guard, but graded out as a decent run blocker, according to our friends at the Falcoholic here, which is where I'm getting all these numbers. Um, So... Who's to, who's to know? I think he's just a guy that adds some depth, but he's another, you know, close to league minimum salary. So I think, yeah, with the only Fowler, with Fowler being the only guy that we've really picked up on defense that is uh, of note, you have to think that we're taking the 
same approach that we took to the draft and the 20, uh, whatever the Super Bowl year was, the 2016 year, um, which was, you know, you get your Deion Jones, you get your Keanu Neal, you get guys like that, and you hope these rookies just play out of their minds. Um, I'm not saying, you know, and I don't know how we're going to do that this year. I imagine we will go after a linebacker. They're probably, we, we might, you know, draft again on the defensive line. Who knows? But you have to think that the majority of the moves made in the draft will be defensive based off of our offseason so far. And that NFL draft is scheduled for April 23rd through April 25th. So once again, thank you to the NFL for keeping everything going during this uh, outbreak, giving us something to look forward to. Um, With nothing to look forward to, what the hell are you? So, like, I mean – I will never be yeah. more hyped for the NFL draft. Like I've never been a sit down and watch more than the first round guy. Like I've tried and it just, it loses me, but I'll be, I'll be locked and loaded all weekend. I'll watch every single pick. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. There's not, not many other options. So that'll be great. Um, right. What do you think about um, what baseball is doing tomorrow? They're, they're airing like, 30 opening day games or something like that that were considered classics or something. I don't know. They're doing some silly promotional thing since there's no opening day this year. Or opening day is delayed. Will you, what will, are they airing it on? Any of those? I don't know, but if what? you if you have the ability to watch it, will you? Probably not. I think it'd just make me depressed. I agree. Um, I can't do it. Yeah. Other people nah, are playing like, like yeah, just knowing, the show. Like, I can't do it. Like, I mean, MLB opening day is one of my favorite days of the year. And to know that, like, tonight I should just be, we'd probably be podcasting tonight because we'd be too late and get a show out after opening day, uh, doing our Braves preview. We would know who our, if King Felix won that fifth spot, it were Kyle Wright. We would know all this info now. And, I think in my head, I've just been, I've kind of just pushed baseball out of my mind. Been like, okay, this is just the new reality. Hopefully, we get to watch it by July, something like that. I can't sit down and watch old games. It's, I don't have it in me. I think I could watch old, like, um, football games just because that's not supposed to be going on right now. Um, but no, I, I, no way in hell I can watch opening days. I was looking at, I went to the Braves website today to see if they had any news. And you can tell they got nothing. Here, here's the highlights on uh, AtlantaBraves.com right now. Watch Acuna Grand Slam live Thursday, 3.05 Eastern time. Hot take. Five best catchers in Braves history. Freeman hits backyard dinger off three-year-old son. Watch yeah, these classic that. MLB games on YouTube. Win a million dollars by predicting the decade's best. They got nothing. Contreras bros stay in shape with driveway BP. And sadly, I've seen all those videos that they're talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> you watch them. I did watch Freddie take his take uh, little Charlie Freeman deep. It was pretty funny. Yeah, he. Yeah, I. I do want to be that type of dad one day. Uh, just crushing my kids and any sort of sporting activities. I, I respect the hell out of Freddie for that. He's not laying yeah, it down. Do it while, you, while you can before they overtake you. Yeah, but um, 
Yeah, brass tacks. No, Graham, I'm not watching those games. We should do a top a top list, Adam. We haven't done one in a long time. We did things every like time you want to do a top sports. list. <laughs> we've done Atlanta sports, Mount Rushmore's. We've done stadiums. We've done top Braves, Falcons, and I don't think we ever did the Hawks. But um, I was thinking we could do top Atlanta sports moments that you were there for. Your top five. Your personal top five. Every time you give me one of these top five lists, I tell you, I need it ahead of time. I need to think about these things because you you probably already have notes on all of this. And then you ask me. I don't have any notes. I just came up with it. <laughs> okay. I have nothing. I'm as unprepared what, what, as you. What's are. your What's your stupid list? Top right. five Atlanta moments you were there for. Yes. No, no, no. You You do one, and then I'll do one because otherwise you're going to say right. five that included multiple though that I was at as well. That's unfair. Okay. Fair enough. I will say number five for me was game. Three of the 2010 NLDS against the Giants. It was one to one, I think, in the bottom, or no, one nothing in the bottom of the eighth. The Giants were up. This is also known as the Brooks Conrad game. And Eric Hensky's pinch hitting has a very long at bat, hits a home run to right field off the foul pole. We take a two to one lead going into the top of the ninth. We, of course, blow the game, which, which sucked. Um, and we were one strike away from winning that game. We could have won the damn series, I think, if we had won that game, even though everybody was really injured. But that was such an electric moment. Everybody's on their feet, going apeshit, chopping, and we're just waiting. Hensky's on this guy, fouling off pitches, fouling off pitches, and he just crushes this ball to right field, and no one had any idea if it was going to stay in play or not. We were in the upper deck in left field, and it was hard to see. But you could hear... Even through the screams, the ball caroming off the, the foul pole. And once that happened, it was like everyone held their breath for a second and then just went ape shit. And it was just pure ecstasy. People hugging in the stands, screaming, crying, going nuts. And then, of course, it ended in, in true to Atlanta fashion. But it was, so, it was so much fun. That moment has stuck out to me uh, ever since it happened. So I would put that as my number number five moment. I went down a YouTube rabbit hole, I think just yesterday. You know, you know me and my obsession for Turner Field. And uh, I, th- I, think, I think I was watching the last ever flyover at Turner Field, which I think was in the last game uh, ever there where Julio Tehran pitched. But, of course, I clicked on Hinsky's home run. And the whole thing happened a lot quicker than uh, you just described it. It was just crack of the bat, barely sneaks over the fence, everyone loses their mind. That's how... I would have described it, but yours is a little more poetic. So uh, respect there. Um, I was going to start at number one because I, I can't I, – I just can't go in order like that. Well, well, yeah, that, I like that. We'll have like inverse lists that, that cross each other. First thing I thought of is uh, Acuna's homer against um, – uh, in the 2018 playoffs – Against uh, what's his face for the Dodgers? Uh, Bueller. Yeah. Bueller. Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. Haven't been able to scored, score the entire series. Uh, I was in line getting some beer, hugged, hugged a lot of people. It was, yeah, it was just phenomenal. 
SunTrust Park. I can't. I need more. Mo- well, Truist Park. I just need more moments like that. That was. It was just amazing. Uh, Acuna's the man. Fair enough. That's a good. That's a good pick. Uh, I'd say my next one is another big playoff game that we lost. That you and I were there for in the 2012-2013 season, the NFC Championship against the 49ers. I have a bad history of losing to San Francisco teams in the playoffs. Um, but it was a moment where we were, I think we were up like 7 nothing or something, and it was kind of like the Falcons just, just had all the momentum in the first half. And Matt does this big play action, and Julio streaks <coughs> down the field and just breaks the ankles out of, out of the cornerback. And Matt throws a deep pass. It's like 40 I don't know how long it was, but it was coming towards us. We were in the upper deck, and it was coming towards us. And you knew Julio was going to catch it. He was he was open. It was perfectly thrown. Julio catches it, gets a touch. It's like a sixty yard play when it's all said and done. And I just remember like jumping in the air, just over and over again as the ball was in the air because I saw Julio and I was like, he, he's got it, he's got it. We were up like fourteen nothing. We're screaming. You and I are just high fiving everyone around us. Once again, sheer ecstasy which once again was followed up by one of the biggest collapses in Atlanta sports history. And, yeah. But that moment was insane. It's etched in my memory forever. That, that was the one where we both were at, correct? Yes, we were both there. Yep. Uh, number two, I'll go Falcons as well. And I'm going to choose uh, last year, Youngway Koo. Uh, recovering like three, well, recovering his own onside kick. Uh, yeah, Young Way Koo, my number two, number one in my heart. You were throughout. there for that. <laughs> oh, I forgot you that. You were there for that. That was not. You gotta be. I was there not for there it. for that. Oh damn it! Uh, oh, all right. I'll go. Last year in March, Atlanta Legends game that I was at, Young Way Koo hit four extra points. At Turner that's Field, your, that's the, that, that's in your your top. Uh, that's four extra points from a kicker is in your top moments that you've ever been to an Atlanta sports game. In a league that doesn't exist anymore, yes, that's correct, Graham. Don't judge my list at, at a Legends game. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, sit in front row, baby. That is uh, that is something. All right, thank I'll, you. I'll uh, move us on here. See, I'll do number three for me is uh, game two of the 1999 NLCS. Are you looking these things up? That, that's cheating, Grab. You can't look things up. No, I was there for this. But you're looking up the details. No. Is that game two at Turner Field? What are you looking up on your computer NLCS. right now? Let's start to look up. I, just, I had to remember. I couldn't remember what game it was. I remember I was there though. Uh, I'm just telling you. Yeah, you got to keep it authentic, Graham. It's, we're just it is authentic. That, we're was just the, that, that was a memory that came to my mind. I just couldn't remember what game it was. I was we're trying just, to, I'm trying to make sure I'm informing the people. We're just two guys talking sports. We don't like when you're talking sports with somebody else. You sit around and look up the, like the specific stats and make your co guy look like an idiot because he doesn't even remember the date of the Young Way Coup four extra points. No, it's more about. I just want to make sure I remember the game. That's all I was looking up. Okay. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Once again, at Turner Field, 
game two of the NLCS in 99. Uh, Eddie Perez was the hero of that series. And this is where the, the legend sort of started. Um, <clears throat> or didn't start, it continued after his amazing game one. But we went to game two, once again in the upper deck. And everybody is chanting, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Um, it's two to two. And I think someone's on first. I can't remember who was on first. But everyone's just like, every, it doesn't stop. Just Eddie, 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 Eddie. And it was like the sixth inning or something. And just the, you know, it was a palpable feeling in the stadium. It was like, it was in, during those years when you were just confident about the Braves doing things in the playoffs. You know, you're still weary of the, the whole World Series collapses because we had lost like four World Series at that point. But you knew like the National League was our bitch at that point, and particularly the Mets. And Eddie Perez just crushes this ball. Uh, to left field and everyone just goes absolutely apeshit puts us up four to two wound up winning the game i think that was the the killing blow to take a 2-0 series lead but that was just so exciting everybody just going nuts for this backup catcher you know greg maddox is specialist um who actually played more in that series than javi lopez did and he was just on point that series hit a, a another home run that that led the braves to winning game two and Turner Field was just rocking. I don't think I've ever heard that place that loud. And I don't think I'll ever hear that place that loud again, Adam. No disrespect to Georgia State, but I don't think they can uh, match NLCS playoff intensity. Uh, you know, they also play rock concerts there, Graham. There's a good chance you'll hear it that loud again. Mm. Did not realize that. Yep. Um, all right, I got one for you. I'm, I'm taking it back to Turner Field as well. So... 11th inning, uh, 2004 NLDS, Rafael Fercal hit a two-out, two-run homer. Uh, to oh, that was beat, great. To, yeah, I was there too. It, yep, it sent, sent the Braves to a uh, 4-2 win over the Houston Astros to tie the NL playoff series at one game apiece. And, you know, Fercal, he had a lot of incentive to extend the series because – the shortstop was set to report to jail once the postseason ended, Graham. And, you know, Houston was on the verge of a commanding lead, but Atlanta rallied from a late two-run deficit to force extra innings. Both teams went to extraordinary means. The Astros looking to give two up in the best of five series. The Braves realizing they needed to split before heading to Minute Maid Park, where Houston has won 18 straight games. You know who was on first when uh, Fercal hit that home run, Graham? Don't remember. Brent, uh, let me take a guess. Marcus Charles. Uh, no, it's Charles Thomas. You remember him? I do not. Oh, man. He was, he was like a Willie Harris type of guy. He came up and just like crushed it. Um, we traded him to the A's. Um, can't remember who, but I remember him going to the A's and keeping tabs on him. We had him for like two or three years and he was a stud for a while. Um, but for call came up after Eli Marrero popped out to the catcher. Um, went right over me and my brother's head uh, into the chop house. Yeah, it was like to right it was like right center field, right? Yep, exactly. Near, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was great. Very, very fair pick. Um I'm trying to think of what my number two is. It's tough. I'll say my number two is probably Chipper Jones's last regular season game, and it wasn't exactly the greatest game ever, 
but it was the culmination of you know 20 years of Chipper Jones and excellence in Atlanta Braves baseball. You know the last remnant of the um, you know the, of the championship team of the '95 World Series team of the '90s dynasty that should have been more but you know grateful that we got what we got and just every at bat was so emotional when chipper took the plate and he had a rough series and he sort of had a rough end of the year and i think he was he was really wearing down and usually chipper would take sunday games off or day games off after a night game but he you know did not do that and and played and played in the afternoon game for the fans made two excellent defensive diving plays Actually, one was a diving play, and one was that classic, you know, patented thing where he, on a slow roller, where he barehanded and threw it to first. And you know, when he did that stuff, everybody just went nuts. You know, it was a total sellout crowd. And he hadn't—I think he only—he hadn't gotten a hit all series. And you know, the game was pretty much over at that point. But um, it was like the sixth or seventh inning. Everyone's chanting "chipper, chipper, chipper," and then he hits a line drive up the middle, and everyone reacted like he just hit a grand slam to win the World Series or something. It was just. You just felt the you know the goosebumps and the emotions of everything, and it was it was so much fun just watching this uh, you know this legend sail off into the into the sunset. Uh, you know we hoped that we'd have a much better postseason with that team, especially with how much fun that year was with Chris Medlin having the season of his life. And we know how that all wound up, but at least for a moment in that one game, it was it was wonderful watching Chipper, you know, play the brand of baseball that made him a Hall of Famer one final time. Very well put, Graham. If you don't like Chipper, then you can just stop listening to this podcast right now. Exactly. Um, I'm starting to run out of creativity here, so I'm just going to go with um, random Keith Lockhart pinch hit home run for circa 96 to 97, because there were a lot of those, and I was at a lot of those games. So, Keith Lockhart, pinch hit, home run. It's a great time to be a Braves fan. Keith Lockhart was one of those clutch guys. He reminds you of like a poor man's Mark Lemke and a slightly more offensively inclined like Rafael Billiard kind of thing. One of those scrappy little bastards who could always come up in the clutch when you needed him. But he wasn't spectacular as as an everyday player. But he was, you have his moments. And when he had his moments, you, you know, they were huge. But just, Absolutely huge. he's like uh, the 90s version of Charlie Culberson. Like, we've seen that Charlie Culberson can't be an everyday player. Uh, I think Keith Lockhart got a couple times to, like, start at second base, and it never worked out for him. But coming off the bench with something on the line, you want Culberson or Lockhart stepping in. So I think that's a good comp. Totally. I would say my number one overall favorite game I went to was it was the year Mike Vick tore his ACL and or it might have been the year after I can't remember I think he came back at the end of that season yeah he did and you know the season was lost the Falcons were like three and ten but Mike was coming back and so we were my dad and I were lucky lucky uh, enough to score tickets from one gay Peacock the Peacock family had some tickets at the 50 yard line somehow at the the hell Mike Vick's return. It was like a primetime game. I think they got it through a friend or something. I don't know. I was going to say, who did they rob to um, get those tickets? I, yeah, why the hell did they give it to us? Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that they did. And it was one of those things where, you know, Mike was just electric all night. Falcons won. And just watching him, you know, I saw him play plenty of times in person, but this was my favorite because we were so close to the field. 
everything was so much faster. And the way he was just able to make guys miss and just put a team on his shoulders to, uh, you know, lead us to victory was just something to behold. And everyone was, you know, even though the season was done, everyone was so excited to have Mike back. And this, the energy in that, in that stadium that night was, once again, like all these memories I have are just moments of, of just like where people are just 100% invested. Because you go to plenty of Atlanta sporting events where unfortunately, you know, the energy's not there, and I'm, I'm guilty of, of being like that sometimes. But then there are all these times when you know the energy is there, and the fans bring it, and there's nothing better than that when that happens. And it was also great because, you know, my dad and I really bonded over the Falcons and and Mike Vick especially. And so, you know, I was only like 13 at that point, so that was always something that was really, I think, special for us in our relationship was watching the return of Mike Vick together at the 50-yard line in the Georgia Dome and just being on pins and needles every play and just being 100% into it, despite the fact the team was like 3-10 and 10 at that point. It was so it, – it's, uh, it's indescribable in, in terms of how awesome that was. So that, that's my favorite moment. <clears throat> that's much more uh, well thought, thought out than anything I would have come up with for my number five, Graham. I was sitting here trying to think of a, a Hawks – big Hawks moment because we hadn't incorporated that yet. Um, all I could think about was Al Horford hitting a game-winning shot one of these last few years. We actually went to the playoffs, but I don't think I was actually there, so it wouldn't be genuine. So I'll give you my, my fifth next week, Graham. Okay. So we'll I'll let you do a little uh, me- memory memory research there. I've got a little uh, spare time on my hands now, so I'll just sit here thinking about uh, my favorite Hawks moment in person. Yeah, I wanted to try and find a Hawks moment, but I couldn't. I've been to plenty of Hawks games, but none stick out to me enough. And I unfortunately didn't go to enough. I only went to like three games the year, the you know the 2014-2015 holy year. And the games I went to during that period were after, were after January. So it was when the Hawks weren't as good and they were a little banged up. So I don't really, I don't really have any like great. Hawks. I love going to Hawks games, so I don't really have anything that could I could say. Yeah, it's a top five moment for me. Yeah, there's some certainly some runner ups like Trey Young beating the the Bucks last year at the buzzard on a tip in layup. Um, Us going to that first game at State Farm last year was pretty awesome too against the Mavericks. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, when going to the you know some of those playoff games in the 2014 2015 season was fun, but they were stressful <coughs> as hell because the Hawks were just you could tell they just were running out of gas. Um, I didn't. I don't remember ever watching Dominique as a kid, so I can't really say that. And uh, yeah, and then you know we had the Joe Johnson years. I mean, it's fun. I always had a great time going to Hawks games. But there was nothing. To, you know, there was never like a moment that really stood out enough to warrant consideration, at least for here. But yeah, you're right. I think we will get those moments with Trey running the running shop, and I think he's already given us some great ones. But. I think we will actually get something that's like a big win, you know, and the big win in the playoffs that Trey Young single-handedly orchestrates. I think that's something we will have in, in the near future. I was trying to think of like a big Josh Smith moment, like him, he had just like bricked like three straight threes, and then he lines up for another one. The whole crowd goes, no! And then he finally, dra- <laughs> then he finally drains one when it matters, but nothing really uh, stood out. There were just too many of those that happened back I in that era. one game – one game you and I went to where he like took over the game 
and was just jamming over people. He wasn't shooting anymore. He was just driving to the hole. He scored like 30 points. Got a bunch of big blocks and stuff like that. I always think about what Josh Smith could have been had he just not tried to force the three so much. I feel like he's like the epitome of an Atlanta sports like athlete. Like so much superstar potential, but just a couple, you know, he can't shoot the three, but only wants to shoot the three, whereas he could have just dunked over everyone at any time he wanted to. But it was just like, you know, so many Atlanta teams had so much potential, but just some sort of mental block. And that's what we get. We get some excitement, but never enough just, you know, grit to uh, actually win anything. So Josh Smith, I think he would be in a top five um, Atlanta athletes that epitomize Atlanta sports. Oh, he's definitely on that list, 100%. No doubt in my mind. But I don't think I have anything else, Adam, unless there's anything else in your mind you'd like to discuss with the people. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to say, Graham, is I don't think I've actually been recording this whole time. Oh. That's good. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a waste of 50 minutes. <laughs> now we got it all. We got it all. All the goods. Very good. Well, I think we'll uh, wrap this show up, folks. Hope you're staying safe out there. Also, like to say, you know, there are plenty of restaurants out there that are doing to go now. Um, one particular place we actually did last night was Bell Street Burrito. Um, they were doing a, a special where they're giving away, <coughs> excuse me, toilet paper. And um, if you spent like 20 bucks, you get a roll of toilet paper. You can also buy to- like eight rolls for six bucks or something like that. So, you know, definitely find a way to support your Bell Street burritos, your flat irons, your corner taverns, your, your places around Atlanta that are struggling right now. If you can, um, you know, got to f- figure out ways to continue to support each other. But just wanted to remind the people out there about the local businesses and the restaurants that, you know, at least I know me and Adam certainly have our fair share of, of bar hopping and things like that. And it's always good to remember those folks in these hard times. Um, that's all. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta look at the positives. So like last week we went to Flatiron and I placed a food order and then they're like, do you want any, uh, beer or wine with that? And I'm just like, excuse me, how does that work? <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, you can just get, like, a six-pack of, like, whatever you want, and we'll bring it out to your car. So that was phenomenal. Got a six-pack of PBR to go. Uh, So I feel like we will say, you remember the good old days back when you could order a six-pack of beer to go from Flatiron, and they bring it to your car. So that'll be – that's a pretty unique experience that uh, we won't get to have in hopefully a few months. So – yeah, and there's no way that'll ever stick around after this subsides just because of the, the inherent risk of someone drinking while driving. But it would be really cool if they kept that uh, kept that law in order. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, so, Graham, we're going to turn out a podcast every other day now that we got all this time? Yeah, maybe. Start, we'll just start talking about other things. We can start a new podcast. Good. Not Atlanta Professional Sports. Yeah, we could do uh, – what, what would you want to talk about? 
uh, just Atlanta in general. Brought to you by Atlanta yeah. Zone and Atlanta Sports Podcast. We got sponsorship opportunity. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you could go to Turner <laughs> Field? That, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it, it would all come back to Atlanta professional sports, probably. But uh, right, find some way to tie it in. What else are we going to talk about? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Well, well. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Um, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitomisip. Hospitomisip. Yeah.